Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. Go ahead and turn. We'll be in Luke chapter 6, and we'll be looking at the um, final beatitude as Luke records it in verse 22. So I'll invite you to stand, please, as we read together. We'll just read verse 22 and verse 23 together, reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. We'll do our congregational response. And now let the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May that be our prayer. Let us ask the Lord's help now as we look at his word. God in heaven, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy, Lord, that you show us day after day. And Lord, even just as we consider the many miles that have been traveled uh, between all of us, Lord, and the various circumstances you've brought us through, it is, it is amazing that we can come back week after week and, uh, Lord, just give thanks to you. And Father, I pray that we would... Uh, live in light of eternity, though, that we would not become so comfortable here in this world that we grow accustomed to the praise of men, Lord, but that we would identify with, with uh, you as our Lord and Savior in, in the way that you were treated because of the message, um, because of who you are, Lord, that we would be pleased to identify with you even in your suffering, and God, that you would give us courage and wisdom to stand fast in a dark and evil day, Lord, and if it would be your will that even uh, some of us would would uh, suffer greatly for your name, God, that we would do so with joy as Jesus uh, has described. And we ask now for help as we look at your word. May my, may my mouth speak, uh, which, which is uh, in accordance with your scriptures, Father. Would I speak clearly? And uh, God, would your, the hearts of your people be receptive? Would our uh, minds be attentive, that we would worship you um, even with our minds now in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So as citizens of the kingdom of God, Jesus makes it clear that there are great paradoxes in the Christian life which would baffle us at first, would confuse us, that we see in the Sermon on the Mount here as Jesus describes those characteristics which would mark the citizens of his kingdom, we realize how completely opposite it is to our flesh, how completely different it is to the spirit of the age where pride and wealth are praised, where abundance and prosperity are sought after, where laughter is continually... Um, something we long for. 
But perhaps this final beatitude that we would have a sense of joy and even happiness in the midst of persecution strikes us as so strange. And uh, I was thinking even as Canadians, we're known worldwide, I suppose, to a degree as the people who just get along, you know, and that will apologize for, uh, for uh, you know, stopping at a stop sign a little bit too long or maybe, uh, you know, bumping into someone accidentally. And we're just known as people who want to be maybe liked or who are peaceful. And we have this built-in desire that we should get along in the world. But Jesus says the opposite. He says, blessed are you when you're hated, when you're excluded, when you're reviled, and when your name is spurned as evil on the account of the Son of Man. And so before we look at the, uh, the response of the rebels of the kingdom, as Jesus describes it, and we'll see the response of the, the kingdom citizen, as Jesus describes it, to this persecution, just want to take a moment to kind of uh, get a, a picture of the the forest for the trees, as to why this should be expected. Why would this kind of treatment be normal for a citizen of the kingdom of God? Why does Jesus not just tell the people this may happen, but indeed it is going to happen? When people hate you, he tells his disciples. Then this is how you are to respond. Why is that the case? And I, I think the, the image of a kingdom is, is very helpful as we consider the reason for this conflict, for the animosity that we will face as followers of Jesus Christ, that this picture of a kingdom of which we have been brought into, the kingdom of God, and these characteristics that mark those kingdom citizens. But when you understand that the kingdom of God has an enemy, and that that enemy has crept into the kingdom and usurped the king's rule and authority amongst the people. We see that in the garden as the serpent comes in to the garden that God had entrusted Adam and Eve to watch over. There they stood as priests, in a sense, to guard over this sanctuary of God and yet they allow the usurper in, the enemy, to come in. And in a sense, they actually hand over their rule and their God-given reign in that garden to the enemy, and as a result, fall into a state of slavery to his wicked schemes and to sin. And so this picture of a kingdom that... Yes, it is God's, and yet there has been a usurper. There has been a deceiver who has crept in and has turned the hearts of the people away from their true king. And so you can imagine that when people are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when people are all of a sudden awakened to the true king, to the reign of God, to the beauty of Christ, and they declare, no Lord but Jesus Christ, then those citizens of the kingdom of darkness will respond with hatred. Not ultimately at the people themselves, 
but at the king whom they represent. And that is a picture that is very important that we keep in mind as we live out our life as Christians. That yes, the kingdom belongs to God, but there has been a usurper. And as we declare the true reign of Jesus Christ, his kingship, we should expect hostility, animosity. We should expect persecution because we are in the midst of the enemy's camp who has convinced themselves they are going to take the kingdom for themselves. There's a parable that Jesus uses a little later in Luke, I think, that captures this picture as well with a little different imagery in Luke 20, if you just want to flip over for a moment. Because once you understand the context of the persecution, um, I think it strengthens us and it prepares us for the opposition that most definitely will come in one form or another. In uh, Luke 20, oh, I don't know why I turned all the way to John. Luke 20, verse 9. Jesus uses a parable which he often liked to use. And Jesus sometimes uses the uh, kingdom imagery. But here Jesus uses a different image, and that is of a vineyard. A vineyard, we're told, that was planted by a man, and then he rented it out or entrusted it over to tenants. And he himself went, we're told, uh, in, in um, verse 9, that, the, that he went to, into another country for a long while. And when the time came, he sent his servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And so this vineyard owner sends another servant to collect his harvest, but they beat him also and treat him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And yet again, he sends a third, and we're told in verse 12, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And so this picture of a vineyard may be helpful as well, that it belongs to God. Um, let us not ever think that the world belongs to the devil in that ultimate sense. Or that we need to live our lives in a, in a state of defense. Because if you are in enemy territory, then you would have to be cautious. You would have to be on guard. You have to be in a position of defense. But if you are in the king's territory as a kingdom citizen, even though there are enemies there, you have a sense of boldness. You are able to tell those rebellious citizens that they need to repent. They need to acknowledge their true king or that judgment will fall. And so that's the picture that we find ourselves in. And Jesus Christ came and experienced tremendous persecution, hostility. They told him that he was possessed by a demon that he was not of God and ultimately was crucified because 
they saw him as a rebel to their cause. And so with that view in mind, we see then, first of all, the response of the rebellious uh, that have rebelled against the kingdom here. And Jesus is telling his disciples, uh, keep in mind this, this whole sermon on the mount is to his disciples. It is to those who have professed faith in Christ, to those who are believing in Christ. And so he is telling them that blessed are you when you are hated, when you are excluded, and when you revile. And just think about the implications of this for a moment uh, in the early church. As we already saw, Christ himself was crucified as someone that was hated and despised, but his disciples also were very much persecuted and many imprisoned, many beaten, many killed. And today we may think that, well, that's not our experience. This, this type of hostility isn't really the case. Maybe we've somehow moved beyond that. But when you look at, at the, the, the kingdom of God globally, and you consider Christians around the world that are dying every day because of their faith in Jesus Christ, when people are being imprisoned and their things are being taken away from them and they're, they're being tortured because of their faith in Jesus Christ, this is very much still the case today. And so the response of these rebels is, first of all, that Jesus says that they will hate you. Hatred towards the followers of Jesus Christ Hatred is, is really the, um, the predecessor to murder. It is that desire that someone would die, someone, that would, someone would just go away, that you could be rid of someone. You, you seek their destruction, you seek their death, and that is really the, the root of hatred, that you despise somebody so much that you want them gone. And Jesus warns his disciples that this will be your uh, the response that people have towards you, you will be despised to the point where they want you gone, they want you dead. And Jesus tells them, not only will they want you dead, but you can fully expect, as my followers, that you will be excluded. Um, not only hated, but excluded. And I think we've all felt the sting of exclusion in one form or another. Maybe even, uh, you know, you're playing sports or something and, you, you know, you line up and sometimes the method for picking teams would be to pick the captain and you just, you hope that you're not the last one chosen. You don't want to be excluded from the team or maybe you've attended a, a gathering of some kind and you have hoped to, to meet some people, to, to have some time of fellowship and yet you find yourself more on the fringes, more unable to penetrate into the group and really have a time of of fellowship. Maybe even at uh, work, you've experienced times when because of your Christian faith, when because you wouldn't joke uh, in the same ways as your employees, maybe you, uh, they knew that you weren't um, keen on maybe cheating on your hours or talking behind your boss's back and running them down. And because of that, because of, of your Christian uh, values, you are excluded, you are left out of things, the exclusion of God's people. We find, especially in the first century, uh, you understand for the Jewish people, it was very important that you were part of the people of God, that you were part of that covenant people, because in the Jewish mind, to be outside of the camp, to be removed from the fellowship of the body, 
was to be under the curse of God, was to be ultimately rejected by God. And one of the things we find in the New Testament as these apostles proclaim the message of Jesus Christ as Messiah, that He has died and risen again for the forgiveness of sins, that they are removed from the synagogues. They are no, allow, they are no longer allowed to worship in these places of worship to God. They would be cut off uh, in the Jewish mind from the blessings that came with fellowshipping together. And so this was a, this was a major um, tactic of the enemy, especially in those days, that they would exclude the Christians out. And even for uh, ancient Rome, they offered some protection to the Jewish people. There seemed to be some kind of relationship between the, the Roman Empire and the Jews, that they, they had a mutual uh, agreement. And for a season, the Christians kind of came under that Jewish banner and experienced some of the um, benefits. But as the Jews continued to exclude the Christians and say, you know what, we want nothing to do with them. They're not of us. We do not worship their God. We do not worship their Messiah. And they excluded those Christians out of their circle as Jews. Then Rome began to turn on the Christians with severe, severe hatred. And many of them were crucified and beaten and, were and they were taken advantage of. And Jesus warned them that this would be the case because they stand as lights in the darkness. They stand as reminders to the rebels that there is a king who is the one true king to whom they will stand and give an account. We're also told that not only will they be hated, they will be excluded. We're told that, in, in my translation, it says they will revile you. Uh, some translations say they will heap insults upon you. They will revile you. They will, um, this idea of, of heaping insults upon somebody. And I suppose the, this is something that we would face in our culture. We may not be uh, jailed to this point, but I'm sure many of you have had various insults placed upon you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus warned them about this. It may come in the form of, you know, Mr. Holier-than-thou or Mr. You know, religious, the, the, the churchgoers, the religious people, um, even as we continue to hold up the standard of God in our day, we find things like bigot, uh, homophobe, all of these kinds of insults that people will hurl at the Christian because of their identity with Jesus Christ. And I, I was thinking um, to the whole idea of, of as Christians, of, as being homophobes is one of the, the big insults that uh, is being thrown at us today because we uphold the biblical standard of marriage between one man and one woman in, uh, in covenant before God and that anything other than that is not actually marriage at all, and we will be insulted. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are not so much homophobes, that we are theophobes. We are God-fearers. And so we stand acknowledging the, the reign of God, the rule of God, and the word of God as our standard. And I'm quite happy to be known as a God-fearer, whatever else that might bring upon us in insults and name-calling. Again, I think um, 
some of you young people in school, uh, you're going to face this in, in a very real way as you display your Christian faith, as you stand upon the Word of God, as you uphold His truths, as maybe you don't use the same language as uh, your contemporaries, maybe you uh, aren't watching the same things, listening to the same things, you are going to be insulted. You are going to have insults placed upon you, piled upon you because of this. This is what has happened throughout the ages. And even for uh, many of you in your workplaces, if you speak of Christ, if you uphold his standards in the workplace, then again, you can fully expect that you will be criticized, you will be calling names. And this is, again, what Jesus warned about. And then lastly, he said the response to the rebels would be to spurn your name as evil. Um, you could just imagine in the, in the first century, even as Jesus is teaching that just to say the name Jesus in the midst of the Pharisees or some of the sects that were standing against him, the Romans, just, just the name Jesus, I'm sure, would cause their blood pressure to rise to dangerous levels because that name to them had become evil, had become like a cuss word, and later they would no doubt be fierce at the name of Peter or Paul or John or James or Priscilla and Aquila. They would come to despise these names. They would become evil in their minds because these names represented the king whom they have rejected. And so we, we obviously know that um, for these disciples who were listening to this by Jesus, faced all of these things in, in great measure. Many of us probably have not suffered greatly for our faith. Um, you know, maybe somewhat we could experience exclusion, insulting, but I doubt anyone here has been beaten because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I doubt anyone here has had things seized because of their faith in Jesus Christ or that someone has been imprisoned. But we don't know. The day might come. And are we preparing our children to stand firm that there is this blessedness even in the midst of persecution, this, this place of favor with God, even when it would seem from any outside, um, any outside observation that, that surely this person is cursed of God, is, has done something terribly wrong. But Jesus would say, no, blessed are you when you are hated on the count of the Son of Man. And that little phrase is very important. We must remember that. It is on account of the Son of Man that Jesus is talking. He's not addressing bullying in a general sense, as much as we can agree that's not right, that is against the character of God, but he's not addressing um, just people being picked on or, or suffering in that broad sense. He is again speaking specifically to those who would suffer because of him, because they bear his name. And then we will lastly see the response of the kingdom citizen. Jesus says that your response when you experience these things because of me is to rejoice and to leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. What a strange response to persecution. 
and how confusing it must be to those who are persecuting. There are stories, uh, I'm sure some of you have read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, the accounts of many Christians who suffered greatly for the name of Christ, and yet oftentimes what happens is those very people who are persecuting them, who are beating them, who are treating them harshly, as they watch the response of the Christian, oftentimes God uses that to convert them, that they see in the response of these Christians there is something unnatural, there is something divine, there is something extraordinary about the way they respond to suffering. Even for the Christians that were martyred under uh, various rulers in the Roman Empire, there was history records that many of the Christians died singing hymns. Many of them died smiling with a sense of joy in their heart that they had been identified with Jesus Christ and they knew the words of Christ would be true, that their reward was great. You see this in Acts 5. Uh, I'm sure you remember this one. The disciples, having just received the Holy Spirit and begun preaching with great boldness, obviously they get the attention of the religious leaders of their day and they are punished because of the name that they are proclaiming, that Jesus Christ is risen, that he is Lord. And we find in Luke, uh, sorry, Acts 5.41, They have just been brought before the leaders and charged them and beat them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Then they let them go. And verse 41 says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. These men, having been beaten, probably very severely, still had cause to rejoice and give praise to God that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. And as you understand suffering, uh, particularly in this sense of, of hostility towards you because of Jesus Christ, that you are identifying with the Savior, that His smile is upon you because of your faith and your steadfastness, and He Himself will reward you. Then you are able to stand firm in the midst of that kind of hostility and persecution. We find uh, later even in the, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse uh, 34, He said, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. When we are faced with persecution, when we are faced with suffering on the account of Christ, it is an opportunity for our faith to be tested. And as we stand and not back down, as we hold fast to the name of Christ and we suffer with a sense of joy and purpose, 
then Jesus says, I delight in you. I will reward you personally. And may that be our prayer as we uh, go through this life, as we teach our children um, the blessedness of suffering for the sake of Christ. So we see this response that there's a sense of joy, there's a sense of even leaping for joy, um, great joy in the Christian's heart when he has been counted worthy, as the apostles say, to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. So what this means is that when you suffer, um, and, I, and this applies in the Christian's life, I think, to many types of suffering. We can think of the suffering that comes as the result of, of sin upon humanity, of death, disease, brokenness, futility in our work. Um, we can think of the suffering uh, even that we, we see um, creation itself to an extent is decaying and there's the animals that are hostile even towards one another that, that for us in our life as we face specifically here persecution because of our identity with Jesus Christ, the, there's a great comfort in that suffering is never wasted. And that's what Jesus Christ is saying. He's saying this persecution the reason you can have joy in it, the reason you can even rejoice and leap is because it's not meaningless. It's not wasted. It's not useless pain in your life. But rather, it's producing something and it's testing your faith. And that's what Peter tells the Christians. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul would tell the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And for the Christian, when you experience suffering on the account of the Son of Man, you know that that is actually producing for you a weight of glory in the life to come. And that the, 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 the favor of God is upon you, even in the midst of those trials. And so, of course, it is not our aim to seek out persecution. Um, but as we stand firm in the name of Jesus Christ, we will face persecution. And if we're not, um, I've thought about this a lot this week, what does it mean that we're not facing persecution? Well, I think one of two things, either our nation is truly Christian, which I think we could all agree that's not the case, or we are not proclaiming the message as we ought, and we are not, we are not distinct from the world as we ought to be. And, and I'm not saying we don't face any persecution, because like I said, there are definitely uh, forms of it. 
But if we are proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ with clarity and boldness, then the response will be hostility. And if we are being distinct from the world, then that also will produce hostility, just as the uh, scriptures would compare um, Cain and Abel. Abel's righteousness, his desire to please God, infuriated, infuriated Cain. And as a result, Cain kills his brother because of his righteousness. And so it's good for us to ask ourselves at times, are we proclaiming the message clearly? Or have we watered it down to be a little more seeker-friendly? Have we removed the reality of hell from the gospel message? Have we removed the seriousness of this world's sin that they will be punished? That if they do not repent, the wrath of God will fall upon them and forever and ever and ever they will suffer in torment because of their sin. And that they must confess Christ is Lord. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. And so we can't just say that we are one of many, but you must submit to Christ. This removes all other options to get into heaven. It is Christ or it is eternal hell in the, under the wrath of God. That's the message. And, and it, is, it is difficult. Even um, on Saturday, we're going to be going into the prison and they tell you, listen, you cannot... You cannot uh, disregard any other religion and you they don't want you talking about jesus as the only way and if we do that then yeah we'll get along fine in the world but as soon as we start to declare no christ is the only way and you must submit to him then we will indeed face hostility so let us walk carefully let us seek the lord um, that he would show us if there are things we need to adjust if there's ways in which we are identifying with the world so as to feel a bit more comfortable in it. And um, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ here, you might be thinking, well, why would I want to follow Jesus? I mean, if it means persecution and struggle and suffering, that doesn't sound like something I would really like to, uh, to sign up for. But when you consider the end and you consider the true vineyard owner who, yes, for a season it would seem that the tenants have seized control, but you know he is going to return. He is going to call them to account. And he will judge justly. Then you realize that it truly is the blessed who are willing to suffer for his name, to confess him as Lord and rejoice when they are hated. On account of him. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and we will uh, have a closing song. Father, we know that we experience uh, much luxury in our culture. And Lord, we do experience the benefit of a nation that in many ways was founded upon biblical principles, upon uh, truths that your word has revealed to us, Lord, as even as a nation that acknowledged you to some degree, Lord. But as we consider that there is a shift, and Lord, things change. I, I pray that you would um, work in the hearts of our leaders, Lord, that they would acknowledge that they are not the owners of this vineyard. God, that they are entrusted with its care, and Lord, that the abuse of, the, of that entrustment will be judged. And I pray that, God, you would save them, that 
that our leaders would acknowledge you, submit themselves to you, Father. But we pray uh, for us as a church, and we think about the churches across Canada now, other parts of the world, God, that we would be unashamed of this message, unashamed of our allegiance to you as our true king. And Lord, if it is um, that we must suffer because of that, that you give us endurance and strength and joy uh, in the midst of it, Father. I pray for the children and the young people, especially, Lord, knowing that they will carry the torch probably into a, a dark day, Lord, that they would be steadfast, even as those early disciples were. And we uh, thank you for this time of worship we have together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today to this sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless.